Thank you for listening to Ingram Law. As always, we appreciate you being a guest. Our website is joeingramlaw.com. Our phone number is 205-335-2640. As always, we do take your questions off the air, and we get back to you with those um, as needed. So our conversation tonight is a brief history of my first federal jury trial in federal court um, that was probably in 2004 or 2005. Um, We'll not discuss any names. um, And probably my client may not even be alive at this point. Um, I always feel like war stories are better and I like to tell a good story. So, um, I get my client, he is charged in federal court. He has sent a letter by the federal court, which reads, dear client, you have been charged with a crime. In this case, it was being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. Code section 18 USC, United States Code 922 G1, which in a nutshell is being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. Um, You are to appear at such and such date at time to answer said charge. Please do show up. If you don't come, I got news for you. They will send a United States Marshal to get you. So it's better to show up on your own. Um, My client did show up for the arraignment. Um, I was there to represent him. Um, You stand at the electron in the middle of the courtroom. Um, The U.S. attorney hands you a copy of the indictment and your lawyer. And um, there are three simple things that are that happen at the arraignment. Uh, my client appears. We waive the reading of the indictment. Um, generally, you don't want it read in open court what your client is charged with. Your client pleads not guilty. You always hear your client say they plead not guilty at the beginning of a case because that is the only plea that can be accepted at an arraignment is not guilty. And then the other issue to be resolved is bond. Can your client be let out on bond while the case is pending? Now, one good rule of thumb for you to know, if you find yourself in this predicament or have a relative or a friend in this uh, situation, generally, if they have sent you a notice, they do not consider you either a danger to the to the community or a flight risk. So there is a better chance than not that you're going to be allowed to get out on bond. And that can be done in a number of ways. One is a signature bond. Uh, I, John Doe, sign my name. I will pay the federal government back $5,000 if I run or abscond 
before the conclusion of my case. Second way is an ankle bracelet, electronic monitoring. Sometimes that's requested uh, by the probation office if they feel like um, they need to keep track of your movements and your whereabouts while the case is pending. Um, a third way to get out on bond in federal court, which I have used countless times, you have to have a third-party custodian. Joe, what is that? Well, I have a client here. He's charged with a crime. Let's say he doesn't work. He's not a, you know, a, a, a member of society that's working. Um, we don't think he's going to show up for court. Well, I have mom or dad or brother or sister or grandmother here, and they're willing to sign a piece of paper as a custodian saying that the client will live with me, mom or dad, brother, sister, and I will be responsible that they come to court. Now, they're signing this as a third-party custodian in federal court. So it's pretty serious. In fact, the judge is going to make the third-party custodian fully aware of their obligations before they sign that piece of paper. You're responsible for this person showing up for court. And so those are some ways you get out on bond. Anyway, my, bond, my client made bond. Um, generally speaking, um, if you are showing up for an arraignment and you have been indicted, the U.S. attorney has already presented your case to a grand jury. They have all, if not most, of the evidence against you prepared to give the lawyer, me, at your arraignment. They have a trial notebook prepared, and they are glad to honor your request in federal court, you're entitled to a trial within 70 days. And guess what? They are so glad to honor that and do that if you so request. Now, your lawyer may not want to do that because I may need more time to review the evidence than 70 days. The government may have had two years to five years to indict you. And they want me to be ready in 70 days to try a case. Is that, is that really fair? I don't think so. Anyway, so we get the evidence. I meet with my client. And he tells me, Mr. Ingram, you know, I didn't do it. I'm not pleading guilty. I want a trial. Make the government prove their case. Okay, I'm very happy to represent you. That's what I do. I try cases. Um, he tells me our defense, what it's going to be. He happened to share the home with a relative. And our defense is 
The gun was not in his possession. Um, he did not have constructive possession, meaning the, the gun was in another person's bedroom, locked. He didn't have access to this gun. He had nothing to do with it. Let's see what a jury decides to do with him. So that's our defense in this case. He's charged with being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. Our defense is simple. It's not his. He didn't have possession of it. He didn't have constructive possession of it. He's not guilty. So find him not guilty in this case. So being a trial lawyer, I develop a theme and Folks, I've represented almost 900 people now in 20 years of practice. I don't remember the theme that I came up with to present to the jury for that trial. But I presented a, a theme to the jury. Um, we go to court. We strike a jury. Usually they bring in somewhere between mm, 30 37 people. Um, the government gets to ask potential jurors questions. Um, we get to ask as the defense potential jurors questions. And you're trying to gather who has the best life experiences closest to my client, if possible, to make a decision. I forgot to throw in really something that's funny. We get there to strike a jury at nine o'clock on a Monday morning in federal court. Guess what? My client does not show up at nine o'clock for his own jury trial. In fact, my client did not show up probably until about 1030 11 o'clock in the morning for his own jury trial. Now the judge, a federal judge, you know, they're appointed for life. <laughs> they don't answer to anybody really. Um, judge says, Mr. Ingram, where's your client? Judge, I don't know. I met with him last week. I don't know where he is. Well, um, we're going to start striking a jury now. What am I going to do? Tell a federal judge we need to wait? I was too young and green to be creative back then. Okay, judge. I guess we start striking a jury. And I don't have a client for anybody to look at. Um, needless to say, when my client does show up, he gets um, a tongue lashing from the judge which was obvious and it was warranted. It was embarrassing during the jury selection for me. Um, and he brings in a box of papers. And when I say he brings in a box of papers, folks, he literally brings in a box of papers. And he says, hey, pal, I met with this lawyer the other day. I got this thing all worked out. <laughs> honest to good goodness. That's what he told me while I'm getting ready to strike a jury in federal court. Hey pal, 
I got this all worked out. Don't worry about a thing. <laughs> uh, the other part of it was he lived in the northern part of the state of Alabama. Some of you will understand this and some of you will not. And if you don't, I'll try to explain it to you. He considered himself one of these people that was considered sons of the Confederate um, Army or sons of Confederate states or something. I don't know what you call it. But he showed up in a Confederate uniform for a federal jury trial. Honest to goodness. You know the jurors had to love that. Great, great first impression. So we make our jury strikes. Uh, I try to tell him to shut up while I'm asking my questions of potential jurors. Um, trying to keep a straight face. Um, I was a nervous wreck. Um, we strike our jury. And the judge says, um, we'll have opening statements on Monday afternoon, starting at about um, probably about 2.30. And the U.S. attorney uh, was a very good lawyer. Um, she is now a judge. She's no longer a U.S. attorney, assistant U.S. attorney. And uh, she gave her opening statement that probably lasted mm, somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes, which was very relevant to the case, to the facts, to the evidence of what she could prove to find my client guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I get up. I have to introduce myself again, introduce my client that's in a Confederate uniform, um, present a theme of what I think this case is about to say he is not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt to 12 people sitting in a box. That's our task. That is my job. So we do that. And then um, the government puts on their witnesses. I think they probably put on somewhere between two and six witnesses is what they needed for the trial. Um, oh, you'll love this part. At the beginning of Monday afternoon, when we took a break during the trial, the judge uh, tells my client, Mr. So-and-so, if you are not here in the morning at 9 o'clock for your jury trial, you will stay in custody the remainder of your trial, and we will revoke your bond. Guess what? My client was on time the rest of the jury trial while it lasted. So we started on Monday afternoon. We had opening statements. The government put on their case. I think they concluded their case somewhere around Wednesday uh, lunchtime or Wednesday afternoon. And so 
you get two shots at the apple as a defense lawyer. You stand up and you say, judge, we make a motion for acquittal, meaning we do not think that the government has proven their case beyond a reasonable doubt, and we're asking you to throw this case out. Um, the judge did not agree with me. Denied. Mr. Ingram, put on your defense. Thank you, Your Honor. We're ready to proceed. Um, this is a good practice. If you happen to be a lawyer and you're listening to this and you're a young lawyer, this is a good tip. Now, the jury's not in the courtroom at this time when you make the motion of acquittal. So you also do this at the same time. Um, judge, we're getting ready to proceed with our defense. I have discussed the case with my client. Um, I do not think it is in his best interest to testify. However, it is his right under the Fifth Amendment um, whether or not he testifies. So I would like for you to give us a colloquy from the court explaining his rights to him on the record and then let him decide whether or not he wants to testify. That takes the pressure off you as the lawyer in case he is convicted. He can't come back and say one of two things. One, I wanted to testify. My, my lawyer wouldn't let me. No, because A, I made you uh, aware in open court and you made the decision in front of a federal judge. Or B, I didn't want to testify and my lawyer told me to testify. No. One of those two arguments are not going to go well for the defense uh, client because he was given the option in open court in front of a judge which decision he made. I've always done that. I learned that from uh, the lawyer that trained me, and I still use that practice today when I do jury trials outside the presence of the jury. Also, I have them sign a piece of paper in a letter form stating whether or not I think they would make a good witness or whether or not I think they should take a stand in their own defense. And I have them sign it to cover myself. CYA, always cover yourself. So we proceed with the defense. We only had two witnesses. The other member of the house, remember, let's get back to the trial. We said the gun wasn't in our possession and it wasn't constructively in our possession because we didn't have access to it. It was locked up in somebody else's bedroom. So the family member testified and I thought they did a good job on the stand. They were very credible, uh, very articulate made a good witness or I wouldn't have put them on the stand. And then my client said, yeah, I want to testify. I said, okay, jury's going to love you in your Confederate uh, uniform. <laughs> so he elects to testify. And then at the end of my questioning of my client, this is another one 
of those lessons to learn as a lawyer, you cover yourself. You're not supposed to let your client perjure himself on the stand. So you just say, is there anything else you want to tell the jury? That takes the pressure off me as the lawyer putting on perjured testimony. I'm not asking the questions. I'm just asking one question. Is there anything else you want this jury to know that you think is relevant to your defense, to the evidence, to the facts, to the case that you want this jury to know? And then you let them talk. And then the pressure's off you, whether or not they hang themselves out to dry or they do a good job. And then you hopefully get your client off the stand as soon as possible. And then you have a second shot at the apple. Judge, we ask that you file a motion to acquit my client. We've presented a defense. We do not think he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. In this case, the judge denied me again. Denied. Make your closing argument to the jury. Okay. Now, the government gets to go twice. Why? Well, they have the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So they get two shots to speak to the jury. I only get one. Here's the good point. They have to divide their time. So in a trial that lasted three days, I think the judge told us we had either somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour for our closing statement, which is more than enough time if you're a juror to sit there to listen to the evidence. They have to divide their time. So if they if we got an hour, they get 30 minutes on the first close, and they get 30 minutes on the second close. If we get an hour, I get a full hour. Now, if you sit there and listen to me for an hour, I'm going to lose your attention in a trial like that. Now, if it's a much serious case, say a robbery, a burglary, a rape, or a murder case, um, a closing argument may be more than an hour, maybe two or three hours, depending on the number of witnesses you had. But in this case, if you're still following along with me, the government put on somewhere between two and six witnesses. We put on two. So I think closing arguments were probably less than 45 minutes for each side. And then the case goes to the jury. The judge instructs the jury on the charge, on the law, and on two decisions. You either find the defendant guilty or you define the, the defendant not guilty. Well... We'll just cut to the chase. The jury was out probably less than two hours for my client, and he was found guilty. Um, now, the judge was very kind that day because once he was found guilty, the government could have asked that he be taken into custody at that moment in time. But they didn't do that. They said, we have no problem with him staying out pending um, his sentencing hearing. 
Um, as I discussed in another podcast, and um, in case you're not aware, in federal court, the sentencing is usually set out somewhere between 90 and 120 days. That gives the government and the United States Probation Office time to prepare a uh, pre-sentence report, which the judge uses to um, sentence the, the defendant. Um, so we left the courthouse that day. Uh, my client spiraled down to the best of my knowledge. And, um, we went for the interview for the pre-sentence report. They asked him if he was using drugs. I think, I, I can't remember if he admitted it or not. Anyway, he was drug tested. And he did test positive for uh, um, a controlled substance. And at that point, they revoked his bond to the sentencing. And then he was sentenced, I think, I think he got probably somewhere between 50 and 60 months in federal uh, custody. But that was uh, my first federal jury trial. Um, I will tell you this, like I tell you every time practicing law is learning something every day. I learned a lot from that experience that I still take today. Uh, I enjoyed it. I always think war stories are more fun than some of the topics we cover. Um, if you have any questions, please give us a call. If you have a federal case and you need representation, please give us a call. Our website is joeingramlaw.com. My phone number is 205-335-2640. As we always say, take care of yourself and each other and have a good night. No representation is made that the quality of the legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. 